Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. And make sure to check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And now, the learning begins in three, two, one. Hey, welcome back. Today I'm talking with Karen Gross. You might remember her as the author of Breakaway Learners and the Lady Lucy series. That's right. Well, today we're talking about dealing with a summer brain drain. That's right. And uh, she's got some great inexpensive ways to have learning and fun at the same time during the summer. Thanks for listening. Lots to learn today. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Karen Gross has taught and continues to teach across the educational pipeline. A former college president and senior advisor to the U.S. Department of Education, she currently serves as senior counsel to Finn Partners Company, and she blogs rights for many education outlets, including the Washington Post, Inside Higher Ed, Chronicle, Aspen, Journal of Ideas, Diverse Education, and Medium. Karen is the author of numerous children's books, and her mission is to encourage imagination, creativity, and inspiration through humor and fun, all while learning. Her children's book titles include the Lady Lucy book series, which has the following titles, Lady Lucy's Quest, La Saga de la Señorita Sofia, which is Lady Lucy's Quest translated into Spanish, Lady Lucy's Dragon Quest, which is a chapter book, Lady Lucy's Laugh Giraffe Journey, which has some really great silly jokes, <laughs> uh, and Are You a Giraffe, which is a prequel to the Lady Lucy series, which I believe just came out this year in 2019. And she also has a children's poetry book called Flying Umbrellas and Red Books. Karen has traveled the country visiting schools, libraries, and after-school organizations where over 3,000 children have heard the story of Lady Lucy. Prior to becoming a college president, she was also a tenured law professor for two-plus decades. Karen is also the author of an adult book, Breakaway Learners, which was released by Columbia Teachers College Press. This book provides a pathway for improving the educational success of low-income, first-generation minority students. And Karen has a forthcoming adult book titled Generation Trauma Goes to School. It is about the need for educators to become more than trauma-informed. They need to be trauma-sensitive and trauma-responsive. Almost half of children in all our schools have experienced at least one traumatic event. And in Northeast, in the Northeast, a quarter of children under age four have experienced a trauma, and you carry it with you all the way to college and beyond. Karen, it's awesome to catch up, catch back up with you. Great to have you back. Say hi to everyone. Hello. How are you? Nice to be with you all. Nice to be with your listeners and delighted to be able to talk to you again about my work and ways that we can help children succeed. Well, it's awesome having you here. And uh, um, last time we talked, you were, uh, you had uh, had the, uh, the book about the giraffes, the, um, the giraffe joke book. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to, to see is you, you also had an auction to help the giraffe um, where you were auctioning off different special little giraffe statues and such. How'd that go? That went very well. And a check was sent to the National Giraffe Conservation, as promised. And the joke book, by the way, has done remarkably well um, for both children and adults. Nice. Um, many of whom like the jokes and want to share them. So that's been good, too. And I should add, um, that I recently worked to celebrate World Giraffe Day. There is such a thing. Um, and one of the things that's being done by the giraffe conservation is they're putting trackers on giraffe to try to figure out where they go, what might kill them, what poachers there might be. And they're called twiga trackers. Twiga is the Swahili word for giraffe, but it's also a tongue twister. Try saying twiga trackers five times. Nice. So, <laughs> I've used it for education, but also for humor, as we talk about twiga trackers um, as ways to help save giraffe who are still 
um, on the list uh, to become extinct. Which is a shame as they're such beautiful creatures, but it's awesome that what you're doing to help them. And, and I can only, I, I, I don't think I could get through that word one for one time without screwing it up. So <laughs> nice. The, uh, um, well, awesome. I'm uh, so glad you were able to, to contribute uh, to their protection. That's awesome. Well, let's, let's start off by, you know, you've had the chance to work with thousands of kids by reading and interacting with them through your Lady Lucy stories. What do you like best about reading to kids and working with the kids on uh, learning new ideas? I, I think what I like best is that you can see the potential in every child and you can work to make them or help them become their best selves. And for me, many people give up on children particularly in certain neighborhoods or areas of the country or kids who don't speak English or something. But I think that kids hold enormous potential. And so what I like best is tapping into that potential to enable student success for all students, not just our strongest students. That's awesome. I mean, one of the things that uh, if people take a look at your website or your, uh, uh, where your books are or your social media, there's pictures of you sitting with children, reading to them, and you can tell you're having fun. It looks, looks like you're enjoying that. And uh, so I was just curious uh, to have you talk about that just a little bit. So very cool. You know, what, um, today we're talking about specifically summer brain drain. So let's start by explaining what summer brain drain is and why it's important to address it. Sure. I, I think we misunderstand summer brain drain and what to do about it. So let me start with what it is and then what I think is wrong with what we do about it and then maybe what we could be doing about it. So summer brain drain is also known as summer slip or summer slide or summer melt. And it's describing a phenomena where over the summer months, students slip back, slide back on their academic skills. And originally there were a number of studies showing that lower income kids got back to school with lower reading levels than they ended the year with and lower than their high income counterparts. Now, there's some debate now as to whether that's actually true in terms of reading. But what is true for all children is the idea that it's important to keep your brain active and to realize that you don't have to just learn in a classroom. And this isn't about a summer reading list where you're forced to read these 10 books and only these 10. It isn't about doing summer, quote, work because you're behind. I think we have to think about it really differently. I think we have to think about the intersection between laughter, play, and learning. And summer is a wonderful time to learn outside the classroom, to learn from things that don't cost money, to learn from things you might not consider, quote, books in a traditional school environment. So for me, the goal is to encourage imagination, fun, and play, and show how imagination, fun, and play can actually improve your brain power, get you ready for school, make you a better student, and hopefully appreciate a love of learning that should stay with you forever and ever. I love it. The, uh, you know, it's, it can, if, if you do have, uh, you know, <laughs> you're not being involved in any sorts of play or, you know, learning activity, something that's not, not so much formalized learning, but you're learning from the activity and having fun. I mean, being able to do that and expand your, uh, your thoughts about things, I, I don't know. It's to me, that's just what it, what should happen during summertime because there's so many opportunities, even as an adult. Now I, I try to read my fun books during the summer. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I actually think that we think learning has to be hard and it can't be fun. And it has to be like hugely serious. And right. like 
we need to have our head, you know, bent over our desk and like a pencil in hand or fingers on a keyboard. And unless we're like really serious, nothing good is going to come of this. And I disagree. I disagree in school and I certainly disagree out of school and in the summer. Oh, I love that because it's it doesn't have to be like that, and you don't have to have somebody over your head, you know, beating you over the head, going, "Sit down and do it, do it, do it." And instead, coming up with ways in which it it is about fun, because that's you know, it's some of the most I don't know some of the biggest things where we have excitement and learn and you know learn what not to do <laughs> by making mistakes. A lot of times comes out of that those types of situations where it's it's not somebody pushing you; it's that your curiosity is taken over. And I love that. So, I'd like to pick back up. Um, with that statement that you talked about, that learning does not have to be in a classroom and it can be filled with fun and laughter. I mean, can we talk just a little bit about different stuff that you're talking about? I mean, what that looks like? I mean, what, what is it that you're thinking about when you're thinking about it's not in a classroom, but it's, and there's fun and laughter there? Sure, I'd be delighted to give you some examples, concrete examples. And actually, I was recently at a summer program at a school um, in the Washington, D.C. area where they gave some examples of what they were doing that are also a a perfect fit. So I'll share some of those. So let me give you an example. Reading jokes and telling jokes and sharing jokes is actually learning. Jokes are much more complicated than people think. You have to understand wordplay. You have to understand the order of words. You have to understand context. And not all jokes are equally funny for every kid, but there's always a joke in a group of jokes that just makes someone laugh. And by the way, while they're doing that, they're thinking, they're imagining, they're reading. So for me, jokes, and that's why I wrote a joke book, um, are wonderful ways to laugh, to learn. And That's actually the phrase I use, um, laugh to with the number two, learn. Um, Let me suggest uh, another funny way to learn. I think tongue twisters, which should be used, by the way, more in schools too, to start off the day to lower the autonomic nervous system. But tongue twisters are really funny. First of all, Whenever you try them, you make mistakes. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. Teachers make mistakes. Students make mistakes. And even if you get it right the first time you say it, you try to say it three times or five times, it doesn't work so well. So that's learning. That's playing with words. That's trying things out. That's testing out your capacity to do tough stuff. That's what learning's about. And the idea that you can laugh at yourself, laugh at your classmates, with your classmates, laugh with your teacher, especially teachers who are willing to try. So tongue twisters are another strategy that I think is is really um, useful. Um, Then, uh, here's another one. um, I've written a, a children's poetry book that that's the book called Flying Umbrellas and Red Boats. And everyone thinks, oh, poetry, like really serious, like (laughs) must be like Tennyson or Yeats or something. First of all, not that good. But all of the poems are short and they're funny and they relate to real life events. And you can do an activity related to them. So by way of example, I wrote a poem called Fish Don't Like Me. And it's about the fact that I couldn't catch a fish. I mean, no matter what I did, I couldn't catch a fish. And the poem is about, I just want to catch one fish so I can tell a fish story over and over again. So that means you have to know the meaning of a fish story, which are these make-believe stories. I've had kids make fish out of pipe cleaners. I've had kids draw the kind of fish they'd like to catch. Then you can go fishing if you're in an area with a lake. And then there's a second poem about when I actually caught a fish and I gave him a name and his name is Harvey. And that already makes a group of kids laugh. I mean, you (laughs) named your fish Harvey. I mean, like, who names your fish Harvey? (laughs) And so then you can talk about, well, what name should fish have and what did that fish look like? 
And in the book, there's actually a picture of me with this gigantic fish that I actually caught. So the poems aren't like serious things about the meaning of life and hard words that are impossible for kids to read. They're about things that happen to us and feelings that we have and things that we do that then can be activated by activities that are tied into them. And let me just give you two more. Shall I give you two more? Yes, good. Let's do it. That's good. Okay. So, um, you know, we've had a heat wave here. Uh, well, not just here. A little, a little bit. <laughs> a massive heat wave. Um, and, you know, that's not easy or pleasant. Um, and it tends to make your temper rise and makes you antsy and itchy. Um, so I think you can ask kids questions like, what are five ways to cool down? Using cool down in both senses, cool down your body temperature and also cool down your temper. And I think just asking and recognizing that those are issues, so you can cool down by what, spraying water on people, um, dropping a balloon filled with water on them, sitting on ice cubes carefully. Um, you know, you can come up with lots of things that will cool you down. Um, and then how do you cool down your temper? I mean, how do you get your mind off the heat and start thinking about something else? Um, and the last I'll, example I'll give you is, is from this group um, called Horizons, which did a program at a private school all summer uh, in Washington. The school's called the Murray School. And they do activities that then tie into the learning. So you almost think you're playing, but you're actually learning at the same time. So let's just picture an example that they had they go and visit the Washington Monument. And actually it's quite a stunning site and many kids who've lived in Washington have actually never seen it. So you see the Washington Monument. Then when you go back to school, you might in art class draw a monument. Um, and maybe you make it a monument to something that's important to you, not necessarily the origins of the Washington Monument. And then maybe in science class, you think about, well, how do you create a structure that tall that doesn't fall down? And try to do it with toothpicks or match sticks or pieces of wood. And then you, in reading, can read about the history of the Washington Monument, how it got to be where it is, some of the controversies that have surrounded it, some of the troubles they've had keeping it maintained. And so you've done tons of learning across the disciplines, all out of a visit to the Washington Monument. Which is awesome because, you know, it's funny, you know, one of the things that, uh, um, what you said right there, uh, unless you include the cost of the trip to Washington, and if you're in and around Washington, it's not as expensive, <laughs> um, but still not... Free if you're in Washington. Right. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the school has to get you there. Right. <laughs> but for a kid who's in Washington, going to a program in the summer in Washington, this is a virtually cost-free enterprise. Which is awesome. And that's, you know, and it's one of the neat things because I think too often and uh, that uh, adults think that it's all got to be some formalized program and it's got to cost lots of money when and you know, you're showing that it, it doesn't. I mean, and when we talk about the Washington Monument, I, I've been to Washington, D.C., and when I've, when, when I've got an opportunity, if I'm just kind of flitting in and out, I like to uh, try and get by some of the monuments just to, to look, stand in awe, and uh, read the, what, uh, the material that's around there as well as the inscriptions and things like this. My favorite one is to go to Lincoln just to stand in front of him. And, they, uh, and it's just amazing to me um, that you know, just even with me as an adult, taking a few minutes just to stand and learn and remember and or read the information about it, um, just opportunities just to learn. And it's just, you know, just a cool thing. And I think being able to show that to kids, that it's not all about, uh, um, you know, gizmos and gadgets. <laughs> it's, 
Um, there's lots of uh, different ways that we learn and uh, take a look at. You know, it's funny. Um, something you were saying earlier about uh, them getting to understand what you meant, like uh, cooling down. There's different meanings to it, or um, the different. Uh, they have to understand certain concepts that you're talking about when you when you tell a joke or they hear a joke. They have to understand what the pun is and stuff like this. Though even like the description that you gave, some of them may have seen some movies where the Washington Monument is in that movie. You know, there was a um, in the um, the Spider-Man movies, there was a big scene that took place up, you know, it's like up and around this, the, the Washington monument. And uh, um, it'd be interesting for kids who had been there to say, you know, I was up there. <laughs> That's a long way up that they supposedly were shooting, you know, Spider-Man was hanging out. So um, it's just interesting how those types of visits could also play a big role in a, a kid's learning when they go, Hey, I, I know where they're talking about. So also think about this much more sophisticated task. Monuments are actually symbols, symbols honoring someone. And whether it's the Washington Monument or the Lincoln Memorial, we signal who we think is important by creating monuments to honor them. And the monument or the wall that we create or the building becomes a symbol. So what if you said to kids, who would you create a monument for? Who would you want to symbolize and create your own artistic monument for them? And if they're living, give it to them. What a wonderful way to understand symbolism. What a wonderful way to recognize that there are people in all of our lives who help us become who we are. And by the way, that understanding of both of those pieces will help you in school for the rest of your life. Very much so. That is awesome. So, you know, one of the things that uh, um, you've talked about is uh, uh, one of the things that you've mentioned in, uh, in, in, as we were preparing for talking about um, brain, you know, addressing brain drain was doing road trips. And, you know, it's funny because I've worked in some schools where the kids hadn't gone beyond if 15, 20 miles beyond the borders of their town, even though they were right on the borders of a giant city or something like this. And, and it is amazing when you send somebody um, as, a, as a school, you coordinate something or as parents or, or you do you know, through scouts or whatever the organization is, you create an activity where they go do something that is totally out of their world. You know, like taking kids to a farm where there are farm animals or going to the um, one of my favorites is here in Georgia, we have an island called Jekyll Island and the uh, um, state extension agency with, in cooperation with 4-H, they do this program where kids travel there and the adults learn just as much as the kids as you're looking at the different sorts of environments where the creatures live and such that are in that, um, that world there. Um, uh, another favorite of mine is an adventure to, uh, in, uh, in Tennessee, just north of Chattanooga, there's a... Uh, place called Raccoon Mountain. Um, by the way, I don't get any, <laughs> nobody's paying me. There's no commercial here that I'm trying to do. It's just a, a cool event as an adult or as a kid, but they have caves up there and you can learn about the bats and all that sort of stuff. Not just the caves themselves. The caves themselves are, are amazing, but then, the, and then the, the creatures that live. And then, you know, one of the cool things in those caves is that if you do an overnight journey, you get to experience what really real darkness is because there is no light in the bottom of those caves. But when you send kids on ex excursions like that, to me, one, one of the things that's so cool is what it does to their imaginations and their thoughts and their, their wanting to know more. So. so I share that view. I also think that um, not all of them have to be expensive. <laughs> Many of them can have pieces that they can actually take back and do something with when they return, whether it's to home or to school or to whatever. So take, take just a trip to the beach, okay? And suppose you collect some shells. What if you then try to identify what creatures occupied those shells? Nice. And how they look like. And then you've got to go to some book and look at a shell and see or go online and say, oh, gee, what was this thing in here? Was it a mussel? Was it a clam? Was there something else in there? I mean, is this one of those ones that makes pearls, oysters? How's that thing work? <laughs> um, you, you could go to a lake and bring some test tubes. 
and put the water in the test tubes. Then come back, look at the water under a microscope and see what you see in there. See what you were swimming in. Um, that in and of itself is an education. And then maybe that leads you to test the water that you drink out of the soda fountain at, at uh, school or out of your home. Um, and so one event can have many parts that you can then use and engage with. And by the way, as to your cave example, not only can you learn about bats, um, which are risky, by the way, um, but then you could go back and read some stories about bats, or you could write a poem about a bat, and bats are really good to write about because everything rhymes with bat and hat and sat and cat and rat and whatever. So it would make for poetry. Um, and I am sure that there is online bat music, um, the sounds that bats make repeated again and again because their wings kind of whoosh. Um, and, and so you can learn lots there at the place, but then you can take it back and use it for all sorts of experiences that expand your mind and your imagination and perhaps even touch at your heart. I love that. That's because that is so, so true. That's you just never know what's going to come out of it. You know, one of the things that uh, um, you have these, we've kind of touched on all of them a little bit, but you have these four tips um, for curbing summer brain drain and say that one again. I can't even forget the tongue twister. I can't even say <laughs> regular words in a straight order here. Um, you have these four tips to curb summer brain drain. Do you want to kind of go through them? So, because we've kind of touched on them just a little bit. And like one of them is road trips. One of them's poetry and mad libs. Another one's the joke books and tongue twisters. And another one is using the arts to engage children. You want to talk about that one a little bit? Sure. Um, so I, I think we often think of museums um, as places that, we shouldn't go to to have fun. We go there to silently walk around and look at um, the things that are hanging on the wall that are supposedly so stellar. Um, and I, I think we um, don't use the arts in the fullest way possible to engage students. Now, don't get me wrong, I think museums are wonderful, but you've got to think about how to engage students with them. Arts also include music, children painting, dance, movement, all sorts of other things. Just asking kids after they've read one of my giraffe books to make up a giraffe dance to giraffe sounds, and by the way, giraffe sounds are very, very funny. They're like a cross between a roar and a um, Anyway, nice. make up a, a dance. That's a way of using a part of the brain that may be really good for some kids, maybe untapped for others. Um, so art isn't just going and looking at famous paintings in a museum. It can be making your own paintings, making your own music, playing your own dance routine. I love that. That's, you know, it, um, one of the cool things that uh, you made me think about are some things that uh, um, we have available here. I mean, you know, I'm near Atlanta and Atlanta has a puppetry uh, museum and showcase and they, they do performing they do performances with puppets and what they also do is they then do workshops where kids can come and not just kids. <laughs> they have them for adults too. They have them from little kids all the way up to adults. Um, once again, I sound like I'm doing like a paid for commercial here. That's not what I mean to do, but it's a cool thing to watch kids after they see a performance, then go out there and the, the performers show them how to um, construct different types of puppets. And uh, that in itself lends itself towards, uh, you know, like you said, a lot of times we don't think about that those types of theater and the arts, which is neat, so. so. So let me give you one from a museum. Suppose you go to a museum and you see a Jackson Pollock painting, which looks to a kid like you just literally took and threw paint onto a canvas. Yes. Or you see a 
um, uh, soup can done by Andy Warhol, and you think what well, he must have like traced the soup can or something. <laughs> so what if you then remember those images, take a picture of them, bring them back to school, and give kids an opportunity to try it. Let them throw paint at a canvas. Let's see what they come out with. Let them put a soup can out there. Let them see if they can draw it. And so one of the things that does is it helps them appreciate what the artists did, but it may also allow them to express themselves in a different way, to try different medium, to try paint, to try pastels, to try crayons. And let me add one more, since some of your audience is older, um, older students, students in college and things, art is an amazing form of protest. I mean, we've had protest art in this nation since our formation. And so the idea of developing protest art, showing protest art, um, putting up murals, putting up other symbols of protest that you draw and make is very empowering, helps you feel in control of your life and the values that you hold dear. But that also is an activity that is educational, it strains the brain, it builds creativity, uses imagination and your voice. Yeah, I was in a community one time where we engaged an artist to come in. It, it had, there were areas, he was looking for communities where they struggled to be, to come together. And uh, he would then bring kids together. Um, usually what he did was he tried to find, and he was very good at uh, getting kids who were toying around with being in gangs and things like this to come together and find other purposes in life. And he also wrote children's books. And um, it was amazing because the artwork that he brought kids together to do would then go on these walls and it usually showed um, people um, hugging, holding hands, children playing together of all backgrounds. And it was amazing how those would stay untouched. You know, you wouldn't, nobody would tag them or anything like that. They would stay up and it just, it, artwork, it's amazing how it can bring people together too, which is neat. Yes. I mean, what you're describing is installation art projects that a number of people can do together. And there are lots of different kinds of installation art projects. Um, some where kids paint, some where they weave things, some where they color in things. Um, but one of the features that holds them all together um, is the capacity that the art is built by a community or by a group. So they, you have your individual part, but there's collective art. And so that's very powerful for kids to do that, um, to have installation art projects where they make something. And if you have a place to hang it, where it can stay in a school or in a church or in other facilities as an exhibit, all the better. And if you create more than one, create an art exhibit where outsiders can come and see what the kids produced in the summer. Make your own museum. Love it. I love it. This is uh, just so many different ways of learning that really once the kids experience it, it, like you said before, there's, they're very inexpensive ways of encouraging them to think and, and want to know more and figure out how to have fun out of it. You know, it's very cool. By the way, I do have to say this about the jokes and the tongue twisters and all that. One of the things I've learned is that as soon as the adult and not on purpose <laughs> screws the thing up, you connect with the kids right away because they absolutely, see, <laughs> which is one of the things I love. So, so you mentioned this briefly, but what's hashtag laugh to learn? So that's the hashtag I use when I comment in social media on things that some people may look down on, like we got to do serious learning to message regularly that laughter, which by the way is very good for you and enhances learning, there are empirical studies showing both, um, that laugh to learn is something that we should not laugh at. It's something we should take really seriously and do with kids a lot because many kids don't enjoy education. 
they don't like going to school. They think learning isn't fun. And by the way, many of their families have had bad experiences in schools and don't like it too well either. So one of my efforts, in addition to everything else, is to make schools and learning something that people want to do, like you want to do other things in your life. And so if you can make learning like that, you'll keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And if you do not like it, you'll shut down and the best educators will have a really hard time breaking through. So my hope is that summer is an amazing opportunity for kids to learn to love to learn. What better way than using the outdoors and unstructured time and space to see what amazing things our brains and bodies and voices can do. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, if you had one suggestion, just one thing that's one of your favorites to do to engage kids in fun and adventure and learning, what would it be? What would be that one thing you'd suggest to somebody to try or you would do if you had that opportunity with a group of kids? Um, well, I've had lots of opportunities <laughs> to do things with kids. Um, if I could pick one, it would be to read something to them that had such power and impact and humor that after hearing it once, they could get up and do it themselves. And that they'd be willing to stand up in front of a group of people who would then applaud when they read a joke or read a poem or showed a picture that they did. Um, the idea of taking pride in your work, being able to share it with others and getting the amazing feeling that comes from that accomplishment, that's what I do. Excellent, I love it. So let, let's shift gears for just a minute. And, and uh, we've talked briefly about Lady Lucy. Could you share a little bit with everyone who she is? And uh, um, I think you got some new adventures coming her way. Sure. So Lady Lucy, in Spanish, you had it right. Um, she's named Sofia. Senorita Sofia. Um, she has an initial adventure where she tries to become a knight in the Middle Ages. And initially it doesn't go so well because people think girls shouldn't be knights, but she's very persistent and she takes the tests of knighthood and succeeds. So the next set of books follows her on her quests as she is a knight and goes off and does things. So the first one is Lady Lucy's Dragon Quest, and she um, deals with a dragon she encounters, which is scaring most people, but she finds a way to capture the best parts of that dragon, and he becomes part of their community. Um, there's a new book coming out called Lady Lucy's Unicorn Quest, where she comes upon an egg and can't detect what's in it. And it turns out to be a unicorn. And she's never seen a creature like this. And she tries to figure out, well, if you are the only one who looks like that, how do you participate in the community? How do you get accepted? What special skills might you have? So that's Lady Lucy's Unicorn Quest. And kids, by the way, love unicorns. And then there's Lady Lucy's Ghost Quest, where she has to travel a really long way to try to deal with some ghosts that are occupying an old castle. And rather than being scared, as many would be, she tries instead to befriend the ghosts and use their talents in a positive way to create something immensely powerful in the place where she found them. And there is now a prequel, since Lady Lucy has pretty hard words and is a more complicated story, there's a Lady Lucy prequel that is called Are You a Giraffe? Where Lady Lucy goes off to try to find a giraffe. And every, she's never seen a giraffe. Every animal she sees, she says, 
are you a giraffe? And they go, no, no, no. I, I'm a fox. I'm a squirrel. Look up. Look up. Then she goes to the next animal. She sees a bird. She sees a monkey. Are you a giraffe? No, no, no. I'm a monkey. I'm a bird. Look up. And on every page where she looks up, hidden behind a tree is a giraffe. And then finally, after much effort, she finds a giraffe. And the giraffe says, would you like to meet my friend? And in comes another giraffe who's a giraffe but looks different. And then a third one and a fourth one because there are four species of giraffes. So by the end of the book, she ends up saying, I like all giraffes. Even though they're different, they're all giraffe. And I like all creatures, large and small, big and tall. And that introduces all the characters that show up in the later Lucy books. Very nice. Very nice. Those are, they're fun stories. I've uh, read a couple of them. I, I really enjoy the, the giraffe joke book, but I, and I really like the dragon story. That's nice because he kind of doesn't fit in and there's a, that's a cool, cool story. So, but uh, I like the way you write. And, I, and now are you in the first Lady Lucy book, you had uh, some students who did the, the artwork. Are, are, are they continuing with you or? They have continued for many of the books, not all of the books. Um, I did many of the illustrations in the children's poetry book. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, let's just say artistic talent is something that, um, well, you, you'll see the book. Uh, there's a certain charm to what I do, but hardly um, an art master. But there's a lesson there, too. You can draw and represent what matters to you. Um, the, one of the new Lady Lucy books is actually being illustrated in England by a set of students there, nice. uh, which is very nice too, because I like the idea of creating an international flavor to the stories. And in that book, she actually starts in England and crosses over the water to the United States to come to this um, castle where there's the ghosts. Um, and one of Lady Lucy's future stories is about binding um, dinosaur bones. Um, which is really a book, which is an accurate thing. The dinosaur bones do exist in this location, but it's her effort to search for dinosaur bones and then come upon them. And as you can picture, dinosaur bones would be rather big and occupy a huge amount of space. And she's got to think about what she does with all of these things that she found that extend long and wide she tries to both figure out what it is and what to do with them. Very neat. That sounds like a neat story and uh, very timely as dinosaurs are very popular also. So uh, in the, uh, with kids and uh, of all ages, <laughs> that's what I was trying to say. I was stumbling through those words. Um, now, this year you produced the, the poetry book called Flying Umbrellas and Red Boats. Where did the title come from? And uh, a little bit of, you've shared a little bit about what they might find in there. So um, I wrote this book um, when I was staying at a writer's retreat on the ocean in Massachusetts. And I wrote about what happened over the course of the time I spent there. And Flying Umbrellas is a poem, and it's about how umbrellas look good, but they really don't do their job very well. <laughs> nice. They invert themselves, they fly away, they rip, they tear, they fall over into water, they don't actually cover you particularly well. So that's a, a poem about um, the, the way umbrellas don't do what we would hope they would do. Nature wins over umbrellas every time. Um, and then Red Boats um, is based on a painting I saw of a woman who saw a red boat far in the distance. And she has the painting, all of the sea, and then just one red boat out there. And I talk about why she would write, uh, paint that painting. Did it mean she was sad? Was she like the red boat all alone in the sea? Or is it about courage, finding your way, the one lone boat, finding your way forward? So it's about the different ways you can interpret one picture and how for different people it might mean different things, like 
events in real life. Might mean one thing for one person and one thing for another. And by the way, integrated into the book um, are various activities that you can do. Um, there's a poem about a laundromat. There's a poem about lost keys. There's a poem about things that just don't make any sense in our world. There is a poem about a streetlight. There's poems about the worms you use to fish um, and touching those worms. Nice. Uh, and so all of the poems are actually like stories, right? If you think of them as little short stories, instead of like poems, those hard things, <laughs> the goal is to um, make them accessible and make kids really enjoy reading them. And actually, I've had kids memorize whole poems here and then get up and say them to a, a class. And how wonderful is that, that the poems have a certain rhythm and sort of common language that allows kids to relate to them and then to repeat them. That's, that's excellent. That's, you know, and what's neat about, one of the things that I think is really neat is that it's teaching them poetry. You know, poetry is not necessarily, you know, I think sometimes <laughs> I'm stumbling through this because I'm trying to find a good way of saying, basically a lot of times by the time we become adults, Somewhere along the line, as kids, we kind of got introduced to poetry in a way in which we feel like it's stuffy, <laughs> or I don't want to do it, or, and I've always kind of been intrigued by people who somehow skip over that part and, do, and are enamored by poetry, because, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> sometimes that's not our, our situation, and that, those, all, those poems all sound like fun and neat way of looking at the world, so very cool. And by the way, many people believe they can't understand poems. <laughs> Like, yes. I have no idea what that poem is about. I mean, I've read it, <laughs> I get the words, but beats me what that poet was trying to say. So maybe uh, I should read you a stanza as we get close to ending. That would be great. You want to do that? Poems so that yeah. you can, I'll pick a very short one. This is one actually kids like. It's okay. called Fish Don't Like Me. <laughs> I like the title. <laughs> I like fishing, but fish don't like me. Whether alone or in a crowd, fish avoid me. It's as if they don't like my perfume. And off they go to other people who catch them and bring them home for dinner. I just want to catch one fish. Not to eat, not to keep. I don't care if he's big or small. I don't care if he's silver or blue. I just want one fish hooked on my line so I can then release him and tell my fish story over and over. I like that. That's, I, I, I do have to tell you that I think there are a lot of fisher people out there that would say, they, they say a version of that every time they go out. <laughs> Please just let me catch a fish. <laughs> just one. I'll, I, I promise I'll throw him back. I don't know. I just want one. <laughs> nice. And I love the, the, the thought about so you can tell your fish story because, you know, you can't have a fish story unless, <laughs> unless you've had that excitement of hooking one or losing one or the pole gets broken or just as you're about to land him in the boat, you know, a bird came down and snatched him out of the water or whatever, which I did have that happen this last summer to my son. <laughs> I also think we don't know what fish stories are, sort of exaggerated stories. Right. I mean, something little truthful happens, but by the time you tell it, the three-inch fish is now three feet. Right. Uh, and that happens not just with fishing. People <laughs> tell fish stories in a lot of situations. Uh, so. It, it make, what you just said makes me want to go, what? Really? <laughs> yes, very really. <laughs> yes, not, don't need a fish in that story to have that happen. That's for sure. <laughs> well, cool. Thanks for sharing the, the poem. I appreciate that, especially that one too. That was that's perfect after hearing you talk about it a little bit. The, uh, you know, if someone wanted to connect with you, Karen, and learn more about what you're doing, what you got going on, where would you want them to go? So I have a website. It's www.kids.com. 
Books by Karen. So Kid Books by Karen. You can also get the books at Amazon or at Northshire, at Barnes and Noble. But the, the website is the place where you can figure out what I'm writing. You can see new books that are coming out. You can reach out to me if you want. So it's www.kidbooksbykaren. And I okay. hope people will visit. Say hello. Excellent. I will put that on in the show notes so that they'll be able to find that. So those of you uh, um, missed that, it, it'll be right there in the show notes. So once again, it's uh, Kid Books by Karen, right? Yes, exactly. Excellent. Super. So that'd be a great place to go to catch up with you. And one, I want to ask you one last question because we've been talking about this writing. You're doing a lot of writing over the last little bit of time. You've got all this new, uh, uh, these new works out there. Many of my listeners may be thinking about writing a book. What's one piece of advice you would give them about starting that book? Um, well, for many people, starting is the hardest part. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so that's a really good question. Um, and I think most people have a book in them. And I would say the best advice I can give is write the book. It doesn't have to be perfect. We want to write a perfect book, and there is really no such thing as perfection, and it makes us stop and stumble and throw paper away or throw paper at walls or fill up a garbage pail. I think the answer is just to write and then step away and then go back and reread what you wrote. I think many people would be astounded by what they wrote when they think back on it. Excellent advice. I love it. Uh, I love it. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. And, and Karen, you know, I can't thank you enough for joining me again today. This is awesome. Nice catching up with you. Glad to hear uh, Lady Lucy's got some new quests coming out. And I appreciate you sharing your ideas about how to uh, overcome the summer brain drain. So thank you so much. Nice to be with you again. And nice to be with your listeners. And let's do it again. Hey, have you got some thoughts, questions, or ideas? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through my email at stephenmiletto at gmail.com. Stephen spelled with a V and Mileto is M-I-L-E-T-T-O. And that's at gmail.com. Or if you're in the United States or Canada, you can call my Google voice number at 478-353-5471. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Take care now. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.